So I'll be reading in a moment from um, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. It's a really very brief passage, and it could perhaps get easily overlooked because before it we have what would be a more well-known passage featuring the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, telling her that she will conceive by the Spirit the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then following the passage that we're going to look at, Mary visiting Elizabeth, her relative, we then have Mary's song, a song of praise, which again is really quite well known. But in between the two, there's this short passage. And I think this passage is is remarkable. It's a fantastic set of verses to look at. And um, my heart is that it really encourages us this morning to recognize what we're a part of as the people of God. Let me read it to you and then we'll look at it together. So Mary visits Elizabeth. Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So what's going on at the start of Luke's gospel is an increased outbreak of the activity of the Holy Spirit leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we've had, at the start of the gospel, earlier on in this first chapter, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, telling him that he and his wife, despite them being well on in years, past, naturally speaking, the time when they could have children, they will, despite that, actually have a son. And he will be a prophet, and he will be a man of God who will speak and prepare the way for the Messiah. And then Gabriel visits Mary in Nazareth and speaks to her about the fact that she will bear a child, and he will be this promised Messiah. And then Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And what we notice in this passage is two people who've experienced the wonderful touch of God's grace upon our lives coming together. We see two people who, because of their faith in God, have a very deep bond between them that goes beyond simply them being related, humanly speaking. And we see as well two people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see the gift of prophecy released. And a few years ago, God really impacted me through this passage and just stirred something in my heart. And actually, I stand here before you today, and I can trace my arrival in Sheffield, my decision to come here and be part of a New Frontiers church, back to this passage which God spoke to me very powerfully through in December 2005. And suddenly I realized what I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of a church that was true to the word of God, that recognized what it meant to be part of a new covenant people filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you might well ask, well, Jesus hasn't even been born yet, let alone the church established. And we know Luke, later on in the book of Acts, will describe for us the birth of the church in effect, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Of course, that's a very good place, if not the best place to look 
to find out about the birth of the church and what it means to be this new covenant people of God filled with the Spirit, a charismatic people, if you like. Well, that's very true, but actually, I think Luke has shown us the DNA here of what the church is meant to be as well. In this happening where we have two women meeting together and the Holy Spirit goes boom. It's amazing, like a chain reaction between them. And I want us this morning just to consider these things, these things that are wonderful, these things that are on God's heart for us, that we could perhaps take for granted, but actually we need to thank God for them and lay hold of them again. So from this passage, and first of all, we should be a people who are eager to celebrate God's grace together. We notice that both Mary and Elizabeth experience a special touch of God's grace. Um, Elizabeth, as I said, was well on in years. We don't know how old exactly, but it describes her condition as, in terms of wanting and wasting to have children, as barren. So she is obviously relatively old, and she's experiencing sadness as a result of that. But in the culture of the time particularly, there was a, a measure of shame attached to women who weren't, for whatever reason, able to have children. And we don't know how that manifested itself necessarily, um, but that would have really been hard to bear. And yet, she is told, well, her husband is told, that they will have a son, they will have a child. And of course, that comes to pass. Now, in chapter 1, verse 25, Elizabeth says these words, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So God's grace has come to this woman and blessed her with a son. And Mary, well, she also experiences amazing grace from God. She is a young woman who in the culture of the time, in that society, would have been pretty much on the margins, uh, not highly esteemed, not well regarded because of her gender. There was a sexism that was prevalent there, and women weren't necessarily highly valued, but also she's young and therefore would not be taken terribly seriously, and she was a peasant girl. So in many ways, she would not be a likely candidate to be blessed by God in this way, to be the mother of the Messiah. But God, in his grace, comes to her, and she recognizes this. She says in verse 30, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Both these women have found favor with God, unmerited, undeserved, and yet God has come to them. God has come to them and blessed them with his grace. And in fact, the way these two women experience the grace of God really anticipates the grace shown to us in the gospel because we have had our disgrace taken from us. Jesus Christ has died for us. He's paid the price for our sin, as we've heard this morning. He's taken away our guilt and our shame. We've been reconciled with a holy God who otherwise we would not have any right to know and enjoy a relationship with. We have been blessed with the grace of God. And just as Mary's been caught up into the purposes of God and been honored by God, so we too have been caught up in the purposes of God and been honored by him. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's our standing before a holy God this morning. Paul writes about these wonderful truths so powerfully in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 verse 1 onwards. And just listen for the number of times the word grace is mentioned because God has shown us such grace, coming to us as sinners, as rebels, and reconciling us to himself. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that um, no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So just as these women have experienced the grace of God in remarkable ways, and in unique ways, maybe in ways that aren't quite true of us necessarily, but they point ahead to the grace we've experienced too. Isn't it wonderful that we have experienced this grace from God, that he has come to us in his son while we were in darkness, while we were bound, while we were prisoners of the enemy, locked in sin, and he has set us free. And we are now in Christ. These things really are truly awesome. And the danger for us is, is that we've heard those words so many times and they can lose their real significance for us. But they're glorious. They are remarkable. And if we've been Christians for any length of time, we do need God to remind us afresh of the reality of where we are, but now where we are before him in his son. Because this is great grace. It is not a message of us earning God's favor. It's not a message of us doing good works to commend ourselves to him. It's not about anything we can contribute. This is the grace of God. There is no room for pride. There is plenty of room for gratitude and thanksgiving to him for what he's done. It is fantastic. And we see with Mary and Elizabeth, what's their response to grace? Well, it is really, effectively, to celebrate it together. Mary, we're told makes her way to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And we see remarkable things happen when she arrives. A few weeks ago, Hannah and I and Joel, we we went to uh, see some friends in Scotland, near St Andrews, and we went to the Highland Games. Now, I've heard of the Highland Games, and uh, I've seen it depicted on film, perhaps, but I've never been to the Highland Games. I say the Highland Games, they actually apparently tour around areas in Scotland. And um, after, it was a fantastic experience because it was like nothing I've experienced in England. Um, there were all ages, there were lots of competitors doing lots of races, some fun races, some serious races, and there were people competing in the tug of war. Tug of war was brilliant because I've always assumed the tug of war would be over in a couple of seconds, but actually it took a quarter of an hour because these hulks of men, I wasn't taking part, I know it's hard to believe, but these hulks of men just leaning with all their strength, almost horizontal to the ground, taking the strain. And uh, it was very interesting. Um, so interesting, in fact, Paul Merton was there. So recording it as an interesting cultural experience. What are these Scots doing? Um, who knows, we may be on TV soon. Um, and there was just a great atmosphere. There were sideshows, there were stalls, there was Highland dancing, there was music. It was really, really fantastic. What these people were essentially doing of course, is celebrating their identity as Scots. They were celebrating their culture. And I was just thinking, well, 
this is wholesome, this is, this is vibrant, this is good. But how much more should we as the people of God be celebrating his grace? And how much more should there be a sense of something wholesome, something vibrant, something dynamic, something alive, because we have been brought into an identity, and please understand this, Scots people amongst you, uh, better than any race or any nationality. It's wonderful, it's glorious, and there should be that sense of life and celebration amongst us because we have known God's grace. We see Mary is eager to visit her relative, and it's not just because she's possibly a cousin or because she just knows her, but I believe she's heard from Gabriel that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, and also from Gabriel that her relative, well on in years, is having a child, a special child too. Well, she wants to seek her out. She wants to go and meet her. She wants to spend time with her. She wants to share this glorious news. And there's an eagerness on the part of Mary to go and see her relative. In fact, she probably travels for three or four days on her own, about 100 miles from the north in Galilee to the south in Judea. Are you eager to meet together as God's people? Are you eager to come on a Sunday and partake in the celebration of God's grace? It's really, really good to recognize we are privileged, we are blessed, we are to meet together. And we should come with an eagerness. We could well be busy before we arrive, changing nappies, having breakfast, whatever. I don't know, it could be anything. But we want to come with an eagerness to celebrate God's grace. And, I mean, what's the furthest some of us travel? I guess it's not three or four days. But Mary didn't let anything get in her way. She was going to commit herself to meeting together in this community of two, this new covenant community of two, really, with a spirit present, and they're going to celebrate God's grace together. Let's be eager to meet. Um, Elizabeth was humbled by Mary's arrival, and she recognized that God was with this woman. God had come to this woman. And she says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So, supernaturally, it's been revealed to her that, yes, this young relative of mine is going to bear the Messiah. But she's humbled by the opportunity to spend time with another woman who is living for God and has known God's grace in her life. Are you humbled by the opportunity this morning to come together and worship God in this way? Are you humbled that you're sitting next to the person you're sitting next to? You might well, you might well spend a lot of time with the person you're sat next to. You may not. But even if it's someone a few seats away or across the, the row, we should be humbled that we, we have the privilege of meeting together because in this room, there's a great role honor of testimony of what God has done in your lives. It's amazing what he's done to intervene in each and every one of your lives. If it wasn't for him, where would you be this morning? Maybe it's not a good idea to think about it, but God has come to you and rescued you and established you in his community, a community of grace. Let's recognize the privilege of what it means to gather together. There's a remarkable happening here where Elizabeth says, when Mary greets her, says hello to her, it may have been more than just hi, but it doesn't tell us really. It's intriguing, I know, but something remarkable happens because Elizabeth says, when you spoke to me, Mary, when you greeted me, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, leapt for joy. And John the Baptist seems to be responding to God's presence in Elizabeth's womb. It's amazing. Um, we want to know the joy of the Lord, don't we? We want to know the joy of the Lord. Um, what does joy look like? 
well, it's not just a fleeting feeling or emotion. There's substance to it. And it's not actually something that's restricted by circumstances. I mean, Mary would have been excited by the news that Gabriel brought, but I would imagine as well she would have been pretty frightened um, and full of questions. Bearing a son without being married, without having intercourse with a man, the Holy Spirit coming upon me, a child conceived in me, the Messiah of Israel and the world, how could that be? Elizabeth, of course, is excited, but I would imagine she also has questions and and maybe some fears because Zechariah, her husband, has been struck dumb. He didn't believe Gabriel's message. He didn't respond with faith, and he's been struck dumb. Now, (laughs) she might be happy about that, I don't know. (laughs) But circumstantially, it isn't all plain sailing for them. It isn't all cut and dry. It's not all simple, a bed of roses. Um, They're dealing with difficult things, but in it all, they know a joy because the Spirit comes to them. The Spirit comes to them, and John the Baptist leaps in the mother's womb. I guess John the Baptist didn't have many inhibitions. What do you think? I don't suppose he had many hang-ups. I don't suppose he really feared those around him. There was no fear of man for John the Baptist. He was, he was a babe in the mother's womb. And we can, of course, be conditioned by all sorts of things that happen in our lives. We can be inhibited, reserved, have hang-ups. We can um, be embarrassed. But the Holy Spirit can override those things, and the Holy Spirit can bring freedom and joy. And it's good to allow him to do that. The Holy Spirit wants to set us free to express our joy. It may be to smile. Would you like to smile now? Some of you are. That's great. It may be to laugh. It could be to clap hands. It could be to leap for joy. It could be to shout out. Manifestations manifestations of joy can take many forms. But as the people of God, I put it to you, perhaps we should be more full of joy than any other people on the face of the earth. And I speak to myself about this. I want to take ground in this area because I do believe I'm doing myself and you and the Lord a disservice if I'm not full of joy. We also see that Elizabeth spontaneously, really, is led by the Spirit to prophesy. And it says she does this in a loud voice. <laughs> um, I hope it didn't hurt Mary's ear, but in a loud voice. She proclaims it, she declares it with conviction and with volume. Giving voice, Elizabeth gives voice. And it is good as the people of God, as we meet together and celebrate God's grace and consider what he's done in you, what he's done in me. It's awesome that we give voice. It's good to proclaim and praise the grace of God. It's a good thing to do, to give voice. Have your ears ever hurt in a time of worship? No? No, mine haven't either. Um, and it's not a good idea, is it, just try to ratchet up the volume just to... <laughs> have noise for noise's sake. The noisiest experience I've ever had of a crowd celebrating um, was when I was 16, standing on a football terrace. And it's a long time ago, because Liverpool were champions of England. (laughs) And we were shouting, champions, champions, champions. And the 20,000 people under the roof meant the sound was trapped in there, and it reverberated. And it's the only time in my life the sound of a celebration hurt my ears, and they started to ring. And I started to feel a bit ill. Um, I'm not suggesting we try and just shout for shouting's sake. But actually, we have every reason to give voice. Let's give voice to praising God. We also see the life of the Holy Spirit. As I said, Elizabeth prophesies spontaneously. She proclaims truth about Mary. And thereafter, I won't read it, but there's Mary's song. Mary praises God spontaneously there's this song that comes to her by the spirit and 
We want to be expecting the Holy Spirit to be present with us to release his gifts, to release spontaneous praise so that we sing songs that aren't necessarily on the screen there, spontaneous songs. The Holy Spirit is a creative spirit. The Holy Spirit is a liberating spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to bring revelation of who Jesus is and God's purposes, and he loves to release those things, things through us that we might bless him and bless each other. Let's, let's, let's stir ourselves. Let's, let's have courage and be open to be used in prophesying, in our meetings, in singing songs of praise to Jesus. Because there's something really life-giving. There's something so beautiful. There's something so radiant because we are the bride of Christ. And that's part of the process of getting ready for eternity with Jesus, our bridegroom. There's a beauty there's a radiance, there's a vibrancy, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not of ourselves. It's not like anything else in this world. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see is Mary and Elizabeth are eager to celebrate God's grace together. Let's be a people who are eager to celebrate this great grace. Secondly, we should cherish the, pe- we should cherish the privilege of being joined together as God's family. As I've said, Mary goes to see... Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was related to Mary. We're not quite sure how it could be cousin, but I do believe she isn't just going to see her because there's a, there's a um, biological relationship there, a connection, being, same, being in the same family. There's, there's a sense of faith. That's what joins them together. They've been open to God. They've believed what God has said to them through the angel Gabriel, and they've been longing for salvation. They've been longing for the Messiah, and there's that connection. There's that bond that goes way beyond just their natural bond as relatives. And we, of course, are the family of God. And that means there should be no barriers between us. No barriers at all. There were lots of potential barriers between Mary and Elizabeth. They were of very different ages. Mary was very young, and Elizabeth was much, much older. There was that barrier. There was a very different social background behind each of them. Mary, as I said, was probably a peasant girl, um, with no real high standing in society whatsoever. Elizabeth, in contrast, while not perhaps upper class, was from a very um, noble family line, the line of Aaron, Aaron, sorry, the line of priests, as was her husband. And he was a priest. So they were from very different social backgrounds. And they were from very different geographical areas. Mary was from the north, Galilee, and that was a place despised somewhat by the south. That's where Elizabeth was from. So there were these potential barriers, but actually their bond, their joining as people of faith in God transcended those barriers, overcame those barriers. They were not an issue because they had the most important thing in common. We read again in Ephesians, don't we, of Paul writing about the glory of the church. The glory of the church in Ephesians 2. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We are members of God's household. Now, for you, the word household might suggest something rather boring and uninspiring, but it really means family, and it's a wonderful privilege to be in the family of God. It's fantastic. And just further on in chapter 3, Paul speaks of this idea of people from different nationalities, different races coming together together as one in Christ, as a people, 
being a display of the divine wisdom of God, says in verse 10 of chapter 3, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church, the people of God, are meant to be a unique community in the world as a witness to the grace of God that he would take people from many different types of walk of life and unite them together with the most wonderful thing in common, that they've been recipients of God's grace. But it's not only a display for the world, it's a display for the heavenly powers. What on earth could that mean? It must mean the angelic realm. It must mean the realm that is beyond our physical, natural sight. But it is a realm that's real nevertheless. And we know there's an enemy. We know there's a spiritual force, the devil and his demonic forces who would oppose the purposes of God, who would mock and scoff at God's plan. He's sending his son to die upon a cross, and through that death and resurrection, accomplishing salvation. There's a devil, and his forces would mock for God's plan of establishing a people who in and of themselves can't do anything, but with his spirit can do an awful lot, and they could be united together and change the world. This is the wisdom of God. So every relationship in this building is important, because where there's unity, where there's love, It's a demonstration of the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. That is significant. And it says it's God's eternal purpose to do these things through his son. And we are in his son as his people. You may be here this morning thinking, well, I understand what you're saying to some extent. But I still don't really feel a part of this church or the people of God. In all respect, let me say to you, with all respect, let me say to you, what you feel whilst... I can appreciate it's real and therefore, to some extent, important. The truth is you are. If you are a Christian, you are part of God's family. And you are joined with everyone else in this room and across the world who is a believer. And of course, we're to work out relationships in the context of local church. But you might say, well, I feel on the fringes. And actually, to be honest, it's the people next door who aren't Christians but really nice people. It's the people at work who I rub shoulders with every day who seem to know me better and understand me more, if anything, uh, I feel I've got more, common in, more in common with them. Well, you may have a lot in common with them, but you haven't got the most important thing in common. Um, a few years ago, just after Hannah and I got married, um, I had a little idea. I thought, well, Hannah's on Facebook, I'm not. Um, but I'd like to have a go at tracing this long-lost friend. And here's someone I knew in my sort of late junior school years, so 9, 10, through to my early teens, before I moved from the south of England to Cheshire. Um, and we, we managed to track him down. I entered his name, searched for him, and there was about 17, Stephen Ponsford. You're famous, Stephen. And um, there was no picture of him, uh, but I went to his friends and worked out from his friends that, ah, he had a brother called Richard and a sister called... Helen, is this breaching data protection? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I, I said, I asked Hannah to type in, are you the Stephen Ponsford who used to play for Roffey Robbins? That was our football team. Roffey is a suburb of Horsham. Roffey Robbins, it filled the opposition with dread, that name. And um, it was, it was him. And the amazing thing was, uh, we had the opportunity to meet about three months later because he and his family were passing through from being on holiday in Northumberland back to their home in Bristol. And he called in to see us. It's just so, I hadn't seen him for 25 years. Um, the last time we met, our voices hadn't broken. Uh, 
it was a really, and it was really amazing because Hannah commented afterwards that, but it's like, wow, there's a real chemistry, a real bond. Because, believe it or not, um, having to part, gone separate ways at the age of 13 or so, and not had contact since, he is an English teacher in Bristol. Um, and I'm not an English teacher in Bristol. No, I'm an English teacher in Sheffield. But what we had in common then was, when we grew up, was the fact that we loved football. And we played football and followed football. And it was lovely catching up. And there was a sense of real connection. Um, and it's not easy to keep up with him now because he lives somewhere quite far away. But I just want to say to you, despite a chemistry like that, despite a bond like that, and I would pray that God might give us opportunity to meet and I'd love to see him come to know Jesus. But actually, I've got more in common, or at least the most impo- I've got something more importantly in common with any one of you in this room. You could be a different age, you could hate football, you could hate English, you could hate teachers, right? You could, be, you could be anyone else. But if you're a Christian, I've got the most important thing in common with you, and you've got the most important thing in common with me, because you're a recipient of God's grace, and you're in this family. So don't dismiss your sense of belonging, because you do, at a fundamental level. It's really important. So there should be no barriers between us. And really, that should mean we shouldn't worry what core group we're in or what small group. It doesn't matter because we've got something in common with everyone in that room that's more important than anything else. Whatever age, whatever personality, whatever temperament, whatever sense of humor, it doesn't matter because you've got the most profoundly important thing in common. That connection that is of the spirit that makes you a brother and sister in Christ. There should be gracious relationships between us. We see Elizabeth exemplify great grace towards her younger relative. Elizabeth doesn't judge Mary for being pregnant. Oh, Mary, what are you doing? Coming here, go away. I'm ashamed of you. Goodness me, don't you know it's not right to have a child before marriage? No, Elizabeth doesn't judge Mary. Elizabeth doesn't resent the fact that Mary has come to know the joy of conceiving and having a child when so young, while she has waited all these years. Elizabeth doesn't resent the fact that Mary has been blessed that way. Elizabeth isn't jealous of Mary actually being the mother of the Messiah. Oh, it's not fair. I've only got John the Baptist, a prophet. That's not fair. Why are you being the mother of the Messiah? Oh, no. No, she's not jealous. She's not jealous of Mary. And nor does she make assumptions about Mary's life. Oh, it's going to be easy for you now. You're the mother of the Messiah. What a celebrity. You'll, be, you'll enjoy it, won't you? What fame. What fortune. What a great... What a great life you'll have. She doesn't make assumptions about Mary's life. And of course, Mary didn't have a life like that at all. And Simeon, shortly after, prophesies that she will experience real grief. Because, of course, Jesus will be despised and ultimately killed. And it's really important that we don't judge each other. It's really important that we don't resent each other, thinking, oh, it's right for them. Look at their life. And don't make assumptions. Don't think, I'm experiencing this trial. Don't they ever experience any trials? They seem to have it easy all the time. Look at their life. Look at their home, look at their job, look at their You can't afford to make assumptions about anyone because only God knows his dealings with that person in a secret place probably. And he'll be working on them, he'll be disciplining them, he'll be training them, he'll be leading them through challenging times and maybe it's not in the way you think it should be even or what you experience but we can't afford to make assumptions about people's lives and we must be gracious. If we've experienced this grace from God, we must be channels of grace to others. I remember once preaching in a more formal context, and uh, there's a lady sitting very near the front, um, just over here, 
I don't mean in this building, but she looked really miserable. And I thought, why doesn't she jolly well cheer up? Why is she looking at me like that? Um, I'm doing my best. And she just didn't look at all happy. And that would go on every time I preached. And I began to think maybe it's a personal thing. Um, But I actually found out some weeks later that the reason her face had that, I guess, less than happy-looking expression was because she'd had a stroke. Um, But I'd made an assumption. Oh, you miserable-looking woman. Um, I'd made an assumption about her life. And she was like that for a reason. And we mustn't make assumptions. Believe it or not, the same woman, uh, after I preached once, uh, she came up to me and she said, Adrian, I've been meaning to say this for a long time. And I was thinking, oh no. Um, but I'm not going to tell you where this was, by the way, so uh, you're not going to find out who it is. But she said, I've been meaning to tell you this for a long time. Uh, I'm really offended by the way you dress. Um, I said, I have to be honest, I responded rather badly. I said, well, that's lovely, isn't it? Come to church and get encouragement like that. And it wasn't a good response. I was sarcastic. And um, I did begin to harbor some resentment towards this woman. Because I thought, I've just preached, and you're coming up to me and saying, you're offended by the way I dress. Now, there was a generational issue, um, and maybe a personality issue. But ultimately, I had to work through my attitude towards her. And I, I made a decision... I've got to show grace to this woman. So I went round to her and her husband's house, and it, I wasn't looking forward to it, but <laughs> I apologized um, for the way I dressed and my sarcasm, and she didn't apologize to me. <laughs> so I just had to be gracious, and we have to be gracious. You may feel you've got an issue with someone, a grudge to bear, that means you're the exception. No, grace is good, absolutely, and you should have done that, aid. That was right, well done, but you don't understand my situation. It's very different and difficult, more difficult. I cannot possibly forgive that person. I cannot not possibly be open to that person or relate to that person. It's just not going to happen because it's in a whole different category of offense, and therefore, it's never going to change. I just think, actually, there should be no exceptions. We need to show grace. We need to be people who have relationships that are gracious, We should also be people who are strongly relational. Mary and Elizabeth, yes, they knew each other. Maybe Mary went down to Judea, south of Israel, two or three times a year for the annual celebrations, the feasts. Maybe she stayed with her relative. Maybe they knew each other a a little bit. Um, Maybe a fair bit. But there there was this sense of deep relationship between them. And... um, How do we cultivate relationships that are deep? Because in a church of this size, medium size, it can be easy to be lost on a Sunday perhaps, especially as a newcomer. Well, we see Mary going into the house of Elizabeth, it says, into her home. There's a big clue there. Homes are a great setting for relationships to be built. Core groups are essential. In order to be integrated into the life of the church, to get to know people, core groups are so important. So I want to encourage you to be a part of a core group. We also see other meaningful relationships in the Bible center around sharing of food. Jesus ate with his disciples, again in the home. It's really good to eat together. It's really good to be hospitable. Just let me say this. If you think, goodness me, I never get invited anywhere. Guess what you should do? Invite people to your house. And, and don't worry, just be gracious. Grace, grace, grace. I'll invite as many people to my house at once. Not only one go. 
have them around. <laughs> Don't go through the members book necessarily, but it's so good to share food together, to be hospitable. Jesus did that, and there was informality. There was deep relationship as he had disciples. They, they were reclining at the table together and just enjoying time, each other's company. And um, that's a lovely picture of deep relationship. What about Paul the Apostle? Well, we know he was an amazing guy, and he suffered so much, and he was a great pioneer and evangelist. But he was also relational. We see that where he has to part company from the Ephesian elders, and he's very much aware that he's coming towards probably the end of his life, that death is imminent, and he probably won't see them ever again. And they're weeping. They're weeping because he has ministered with them. They really have appreciated him. He's meant an awful lot to them. And there's this really emotional parting. Um, well, especially guys, how do we get relational? Um, there's hospitality, as I say, that's good, but also serving together. It's when we serve together, and, and male and female alike, actually, but when we serve together in the church, whether it's hospitality team, or it's kids' core, or whatever way in which we serve, we develop relationship with the people we're serving alongside. And we begin to capture the same heart for the things we're doing. And that creates a link between us that's really significant. So just let me encourage you. If you feel, well, how do I develop relationships? How can they deepen? I just want to urge you to serve in the life of the church. We also see something really interesting. Mary and Elizabeth expressing their relatedness, being relational. And in a way, Mary follows the cultural convention. She is the younger one. Perhaps she's been a bit deferential towards the older Elizabeth, and, and she comes, now we're not told fully what she says, but she says greetings, <laughs> hello, um, and that was pretty normal, greetings and saying hello, for us is also pretty normal, isn't it? We all said hello to someone this morning, I'm sure, but Elizabeth seems to go beyond the cultural convention, and she just comes with like a whoosh of, I mean it's the Holy Spirit inspired prophecy that really shapes this, but she blesses Mary, she welcomes her, she receives her, she loves her, and there's something way beyond the cultural norm. Now, we live in a land where, culturally speaking, our way of expressing relatedness is relatively reserved, isn't it? Right? How do you do? Um, I think it's the north of Europe that really is culturally most like that. It's obviously South America, Latin America, Africa, um, uh, maybe Italy, Spain, they're far more expressive. And I just want to encourage us, let's be relational, but in a way that's true to you, but maybe it's going to transcend the culture. So maybe when I finish, I'll walk up to Dan and go, high five, brother, right? I don't think I'm going to do that, really. Um, <laughs> but we are the family of God, and in a sense, our way of relating together, whoops, our way of expressing relatedness and being relational should go beyond what we do with our natural family. So, hi, Dad. Ho, 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 ho. Right? I'll hug my dad. Um, hi, Mum. Now, I'm not suggesting we go around hugging members of the opposite sex. You be really careful with that. Um, a sideways hug is perhaps appropriate, but... In certain contexts, where we know people perhaps quite well, it's appropriate to be relational in a way that goes beyond even how we relate to our family and perhaps even what people do in our culture. I look forward to the day, as I say to the students, when there's a charismatic revival in Italy because they are a passionate people. 
Are they not? They are very passionate. And I just think it will be awesome to go to a church in Italy when there's a move of God and the Spirit. And those people are praising God and relating together. It will be so passionate. Just lots of ooh and hug, hug, hug. It's going to be amazing. So I'm not saying I'm called to Italy, but um, who knows. Finally, we should look to encourage each other by using the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. We see Elizabeth prophesy over Mary three times. Each one opening with the word blessed. And it's, it's important to recognize this is an area where, as the people of God, again, we should experience unique encouragement. Now, it should be of a total different order to the encouragement we experience maybe in the realm of the world or the workplace. So, in terms of the workplace, I've received a bit of encouragement. Um, so, a PE teacher was watching me play football with some of the lads after school one day. This is really good for my ego. And he, he was saying, oh, he's a wise old fox, this guy. Uh, he's just retired. And he said, he calls me Adrian. Um, and he said, Adrian, have you played football? What, what level have you played football at? Well, I, I, I played for a Saturday and a Sunday team, um, men's team. Oh, right. Because if I'd got you young enough, I would have worked with you, and it would have been interesting to see how far you go. So I'm going, Whoop. <laughs> I'm feeling really good. Um, but I'm thinking, oh, no, but it's too late now. I'm 38. What's the, I'm encouraged, but I'm also slightly crestfallen because that's not the sort of encouragement that necessarily speaks into the future and builds me up. I also got once a card from the deputy head because I'd done a presentation for some year 11 parents and he wrote basically, good job, well done. And that was nice, coming from a bloke, that was good. Um, but again, not really speaking into the purposes of God for my life. I mean, can you imagine how great it would be for me as a school teacher perhaps to uh, have a kid in class go, oh, sir, sir, um, sir, you don't need to run into the store cupboard and hide. It's all right, sir. I just feel the Lord telling you that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. They are, sir. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, well, you're not a brother. You need saving, but there we go. Um, or the deputy head calling me to his office and saying, um, Aid, I, I just feel the Lord saying um, that, yes, you are going to make more pension contributions, um, but you are storing up treasure in heaven, and that is your reward. Oh, thank you, Rob. Oh, that's, thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. Thank you for that. It's really encouraging. I guess that doesn't happen in the workplace with those who don't know God because we're not going to expect it to happen. But in the family of God, we want to cultivate a culture of encouragement as we prophesy. And we see Elizabeth prophesying over Mary, affirming her standing before God. She says, blessed are you among women. Elizabeth affirms the purpose God has for her. Um, blessed is the child you will bear because it's going to be the Messiah. And also affirming her trust in God, her faith. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Elizabeth affirms Mary, because Mary's going to feel, no doubt, anxious in some ways and, and worried about what's going to happen. And Elizabeth affirms her, encourages her. Now Elizabeth isn't a prophet as such, probably. She's not like Agabus in Acts, who prophesies a famine in, in around Jerusalem, or Paul getting bound up when he goes to Jerusalem. She's not probably a prophet in that sense. Not so much dealing with predicting the future, necessarily. Um, that, that, that is a ministry that's important in the church, but it seems to me that we have something entirely unique in the New Testament here, where we have described for us prophecies 
from one person to another, encouraging them and building them up, in keeping with what Paul tells us we should do in 1 Corinthians 14. And he talks about, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, prophecy as a gift intended to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And I'm pretty sure Mary was strengthened and encouraged and comforted by those words that Elizabeth declared over her, using the gift of prophecy in that way. Paul writes in the same letter, 1 Corinthians, says it in uh, chapter 14, verse 1, that his readers in Corinth should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. It's as if he wants all of them to have that gift. And there's a range of gifts, we know that, a range of spiritual gifts, but he's placing special emphasis on the gift of prophecy because of its ability to build up and encourage. It could be the case that prophecy takes, um, occurs on a Sunday morning and the prophecy brought from the front really is something perhaps, I mean, Ginny's done this, I know. Um, God is putting it upon our heart to remind us who we are in God, a bit like Elizabeth does with Mary, and his purposes for us as the people of God. And it encourages us. You are my people. I love you. I've chosen you. I've called you to myself. I've given you my spirit. You can take courage and have faith for the future. Maybe something along those lines that encourages us. And that is a gift of prophecy. And that's really valid and so helpful. But perhaps, let's think about this primarily in the context of prophesying over individuals or encouraging other believers. And maybe the best place to start with this is in core groups. To actually seek to encourage one another by affirming their identity in God, God's purpose for their life, commending their faith. And there could be a spectrum of revelation you receive about a person. It could be that you know quite a lot about their circumstances. And you might be thinking, well, I know about their life, so is what I'm bringing really prophetic? Is it really something revealed to me by God? Well, we can't be certain whether Elizabeth knew the full story about Mary on this occasion and, the Gab- and Gabriel coming to her or not. Um, the passage hints at the idea, really, perhaps, that she didn't know anything. And the Holy Spirit inspired it all. But maybe Elizabeth did hear something before Mary came, or in the greeting, it was more than just hello, it was, guess what's happened? And then Elizabeth responds. Both are prophecy. Both are prophecy because they're declaring the truth of God, the purposes of God, affirming the person in a way that builds them up and encourages them. So I just want to put it to you that it's going to be so helpful as we have new core groups, as we get to know each other, to be open to prophesy over one another. And to go with an expectation that God will want to use you. And can I just say to those who maybe have done it in the past and for whatever reason have become discouraged and have have held back and and become mute and have lost their voice and their gift, as it were, has become dormant within them just to take courage and believe that God wants to use you again. That God wants to use you again and even more than he did before. Don't disqualify yourself. Joel 2 talks about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh, young and old, rich and poor, men and women, knowing a release in these things, the gifts of the Spirit, and especially prophecy. It's so helpful to encourage one another. And I really believe that we have a remarkable passage here in Luke's Gospel that really contains the DNA of what we would aspire to be. And what we want to all take a part in becoming.
that we are those who celebrate God's grace. Praise the Lord, so that when we meet on, well, Wednesday or Thursday this week, there's a, there's a sense of, yes, we come together to praise God for his grace. There's a sense of belonging together. No matter what backgrounds we have, no matter how well we know each other, we belong to each other. There's relationship, and there's also an openness to move in the gifts of the Spirit and to prophesy and encourage one another. Let's pray.